Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I didn't, I didn't look ahead far enough um, in the lectionary to realize that when I did a, a sermon series on questions Jesus asks, answers, and avoids, that I was going to miss the golden calf, because what's more fun than the golden calf story? You stiff-necked people. Stand aside, Moses. I'm going to destroy them and make a whole new nation out of you. To which, to Moses' credit, said, no, 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 no. God, come on. Um, so it's such a great, such a great passage. It stopped a little bit too early. We missed the part where, where uh, Moses goes down and challenges Aaron. And Aaron goes, well, you know how these people are. You were gone for a while. You didn't come back. So they just gave me their gold, and we threw it in a fire, and pop up, cut this calf. You're like, okay, yep, that's how it happened. Um, so anyway, this we're, we're not preaching on that story. Um, it's a good story to preach about and hear about. Uh, we are going to continue with questions that Jesus uh, asks, answers, and avoids. Um, another sort of cheat uh, question that comes in, in within the parable of, uh, that Jesus is telling. But it really is, it's, it's a parable that plays off of at least two other parables that we, we heard over the last couple of weeks, right? It still goes all the way back to the, the who do you think you are um, type thing that the, the Pharisees and the chief priests asked, who gave you this authority? Are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly that they didn't ask. And Jesus tells them that parable about the two sons. Right, the, the one son that says, no, he's not going to go, but eventually it goes into the field, um, and the son that says, yes, I will go, and then doesn't go. And you can see in this parable, there's a lot of similarities with, with that going on. And also, what we talked about last week with the parable of the tenants, where over and over and over again, the, land, the landowner um, sent servants back to collect harvest from the vineyard, and again and again and again the tenants mistreated, killed, sent away, and refused to give any of the harvest to the landowner. And the questions asked them, what's, you know, what should the landowner do? Well, he should destroy those tenants and give it to other people. And so here we have sort of a, a combination of these two as we continue on with the kingdom of God. Jesus says, kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited, but they wouldn't come. And so it's, it's important, a couple things are important, right? One is, one is when the king invites you, it's not really like, can you come? It's really like, you will come, right? This is, that's, that's the joy of being king, right? You say, when you, it's time for you to come to the wedding feast. But it's also... Right, it's, a, it's also a great honor to be invited to the wedding feast of the king. That's the first thing. The second thing is, they, they already said yes. Right, when you're invited, there's, there's in, the, in the Middle East especially, um, back then, there's two invitations, right? There's the first invitation, and then there's the second invitation, so you can figure out how much food that you're going to prepare for this several week long festivity of celebrating the prince's um, right wedding, 
This is the king's son. This is going to be a lavish affair. It is not RSVP and, you know, open bar from 2 to 4 and then dinner served at 6 and everybody's home in bed by 9. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a few weeks of celebration continuously um, that's going on. So, so how much food is being prepared? So that when, when, the, when the banquet is done, when the banquet is ready, when all is set, then the messengers go out sort of for that second invitation. They say, okay, you said yes. The party's ready. Come. And they said, nah. And so then he sent them again. And this time, one just like made all sorts of excuses, one went to his business, one went to his farm. Some just beat the servants and killed other servants. That's not very nice, a little bit extreme, right? And in, in Luke's gospel, when we have this passage, there's, there's equally funny things of, of ridiculous excuses like, I just bought a field, I gotta go look at it, as if you wouldn't have gone and looked at your field before. I just bought a pair of oxen, five yoke oxen, I gotta go check them out. I just got married, so therefore, like fill in the blank, um, Jesus is very funny. Um, also can be a little bit risque, right? Um, and so here we are here, and, and the king says, all right, that's it. We're going to go get other people. These people were not worthy to be invited to the wedding. And um, so he sent, his, he sent his troops out, destroyed those murderers, burned their city. Then he says, the wedding feast is ready. Those invited were not worthy. Go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. They went to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests in, in Luke's gospel. Um, but they, they gathered a whole bunch, and the king came back in and said, there's still room. Go get some more. And so they had to go out again, right? But, but basically, is it's filled with people, good and bad. Um, and then uh, a man came in wearing where uh, the king saw without a wedding garment. Said, "How do you get in here without a wedding garment?" And um, didn't say anything and was thrown out uh, with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it says, "Many are called, but few are chosen." I don't know how the parable ends. And that's the that's the question: is the the where's your where's your wedding garment? But we need to go back. A couple things to the to the parts about um, worthy, um, which I think is is really a really important place to begin, because it's one of these these words that that affects our world and affects religion and affects God and affects church and Jesus and all these things where people are like, I'm not worthy, right? I'm not worthy enough to receive. God's love. I'm not worthy enough to um, earn God's favor. I'm not worthy enough to have forgiveness or whatever, whatever it is. It's this thing that people know all the things that they have done, right? And, and so therefore, if only God knew the truth, which God does, but if only God knew the truth, then he wouldn't, he wouldn't love me, right? Accept me. I'm not worthy enough for all of this. And here we, we, we know, we, we've heard these excuses before. I've heard more of them probably than you. 
Um, but, but we still know people who, you, you know, they, because of past actions or past deeds or past this or past that, they think they're too, too blemished for God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness. And here we see, what does it mean to be worthy? It means to accept the invitation of the king. Right? When he says they're not worthy to be invited, they already were invited. Right? They've already been invited once before. The problem is they didn't come. They didn't ultimately accept the invitation. That's what made them not worthy, is they rejected the king. Because what's the next line? The next line is, and so the servants went out into the streets and they gathered people good and bad based on somebody's judgment. So again, how are we drawn to the kingdom of God? Not through behavior. Not because you've done so many amazing things and that you've walked little old ladies across the street and you've given all this money and you've done this and that and everything else and so you are so good that you earn an invitation to the wedding feast. Good and bad. All have been invited to come and to fill the wedding feast. And really all you need to do is accept. Accept the invitation and come regardless of whether you're good or bad. So this is not like Santa Claus checking his list, wondering whether you're going to get something in your stocking. This is God who comes and embraces you and draws you in. The only sort of caveat is um, that indeed you put on the identity of the king, which is the wedding garment. In the wedding garment, we've, we're sort of, a, we're sort of a, a Cinderella culture, unfortunately, where we think you can only get in to the wedding if you have a gown like Cinderella. Cinderella can't go to the ball. Thankfully, Fairy Godmother came and gave her a ball and her gown and pumpkin and all the rest of the things. Yada, yada. I don't have to explain Cinderella. I don't think to anybody here. But um, in, in this culture, the king provides the garments, right? You got your invitation and you got your robe. You got your invitation and you got your clothes. This isn't like, this isn't like you've got, now you, Macy's isn't open. You've got to have nothing to wear. What am I going to wear? Um, and you're just thrown out because you're not wearing the right clothes, which unfortunately is another one of those things that I've, that I, excuses that I've heard, excuses, problems, whatever, whatever it is. I don't want to just say excuses because I think culture sort of put that on to people before where they say, I don't have anything to wear. I can't come to church. I don't have anything to wear. And the reality is you don't need to have the right clothes. In this, in this instance, if you're, if you're mishearing that, this parable, it's not that you're wear, not wearing the right clothes, it's that you're not wearing the clothes that the king has given you. You're trying to maintain your own identity and not um, the identity of the king, which is, which is a really 
You know, that's a tough thing for us to hear um, in, our, in our culture today, right? That we are, we are people called to take on the identity of, of, of the king. We're called to take on the identity and the character of Jesus. We're to be like Jesus when we're baptized and we're confirmed, when, we're, when we come and we make pledges before, before God and the font and we come to the altar, we're saying, I'm yours, right, to God. I belong to you. You are my identity. And, and really, you know, for, for you know, centuries now, really since Descartes, who said, I think, therefore I am, it sort of started the enlightenment of beginning with us instead of beginning with God. It's sort of gone a little haywire since then. But we know where people find their identity for the most part. By and large, all you have to do is walk around on a Saturday afternoon and you know where people's identity is based on Georgia sweatshirts or Clemson sweatshirts or Georgia Tech. Like, I see your identities plain and on display um, for all to see, and that's just a simple way. But we, we oftentimes um, want our own identity versus the identity of, of God. But really what this, this passage says is, you know, many are called, few are chosen. You're chosen when you choose to embrace the grace and glory and love and power of God, who invites you, who welcomes you, who invites your neighbor and welcomes them, who invites your enemies and welcomes them, who invites everybody and welcomes them. All are invited to the wedding feast. All are made worthy because they've said yes. And we come and we embrace the identity of a great and loving and glorious God. And we praise God. And we sing out and we embrace the, the reality of, of, the, of the confession and absolution and forgiveness of our sins. And embrace the glory of our sins being taken away. And we embrace the love and joy and power of knowing God. We are become like Paul, who while sitting in prison cell awaiting his execution, says, Rejoice! Rejoice! And again, I say rejoice. Doesn't seem like Paul has much to rejoice about, except that his identity is in Christ. And all that he knows, as we heard last week, is everything that's in Christ is, is all important to him. And everything else that has to do with him that has to do with his identity. Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day, a tribe of Benjamin, all the rest. That stuff is nothing compared to having my identity in Jesus. And this is what this parable is today. And so how do you get in here without your wedding garment really is, will you, will you come and will you be my chosen? We embrace the grace and love and character of what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be transformed by God's love and God's grace. And may our identity be first and foremost God's chosen and God's beloved.